I've got a happy accident. No, not there. I've got a great ball of fire. That's in really bad taste. Hello. Welcome to Date Fight. It's Tuesday. So much harder than a Monday, I think. Yes. Uh, but let's not bring you down. No, easier than a Monday. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Feeling like I need to preach right now. Testify. It's the podcast where we take great moments from history that occurred on this day and we pitch them against each other. Yes, he's Jake Yap. I'm Nat Tapley. And together we have taken two jellyfish from the sea of history and urinated on each of them to see which <laughs> retract its tentacles fastest. <laughs> To the entertainment hatch of your mind. I don't know about you, but just you saying that's made my tentacle (laughs) tracks. Let's do this. (laughs) Right, I'm going to take you to the trend. Are we starting with the sad ones or the happy ones? I think let's let's take people on a journey. Why don't you start sad and go happy? Okay, I'm going to take you back to the 28th of January, 1069. When Robert de Comines, the Earl of Northumbria, goes to Durham and gets killed by the people of Durham. Something he said? As a bit of a backstory, um, so this is 1069, William the Conqueror had been in charge since 1066, and the nobles in the north and outside London had submitted to William the Conqueror in December 1066, just before he had that coronation we mentioned on Christmas Day, where his followers thought that... London was being attacked and set fire to it. Oh, yes. Yeah, they did. Hooray! Hooray! We love William the Conqueror! And the people outside said, they are shouting something. We must set fire to everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> That's a great story. People should go back and listen to that podcast if they didn't hear it over Christmas. It was one of the best. Yeah, it was a great yeah. one, Christmas Day. So the nobles all submitted to William the Conqueror, but essentially they didn't really. They went, yeah, yeah, all right, you're king, whatever. And then they all went back to up north or off in the West Country and just ignored everything he said. Um... And there was a particular, there was Edgar Atheling running around who was um, Edmund Ironside's grandson who was a pretender to the throne and no one was doing what um, William the Conqueror wanted. (laughs) When he he arrived, um, Copsey was in charge of uh, Northumbria. Copsey, who... I'm sorry, that sounded like Coxey, as in like Sarah Cox. Oh no, it's Copsey like Dropsey. Oh right. Copsey like Dropsey had supported Tostig like... Bostick, um, who was the previous Earl of Northumbria. Um, Copsey had fought with the Danes and had fought against Harold Godwinson, but when William the Conqueror became king, he said, please make me Earl of Northumbria, and William the Conqueror did. Then he was killed by Ozulf five weeks later. Ozulf was then murdered by Cospatrick. Cospatrick wanted to buy the earldom. Um, then Cospatrick turned against William the Conqueror. Joined it. Essentially, Northumbria was a nightmare for William the Conqueror. Oh. People kept getting killed or pretending they were his friend and betraying him. And so he said, right, it, the new Earl of Northumbria is my mate Robert de Comines, or as he was French, Robert de Comines. Um, he's the Earl of Northumbria and he's going to go up there and sort everything out. And on the 28th of January, 1069... He arrived in Durham to sort out the people of Durham and got killed. Which led to the harrying of the North. Now, the harrying of the North is when William the Conqueror decided that he was bored of having to go to York and Yorkshire every few 
months to try and sort it out. Then every time he left, they'd start rebelling again and burning stuff and going, you're not the king. (laughs) So he went back (laughs) and he thought, well, instead of that, why don't I just set fire to the entire north of England? Which he did. He killed whole villages of people, burned all the cattle, all the livestock, all the crops to make sure no one could survive. He couldn't survive and be a rebel because no one could survive. Um, More than 100,000 people died of starvation and there weren't that many people living in the country at the time. That's horrendous. villages were burned. Uh, People were selling themselves into perpetual slavery just to try and get out of the north of the country. The survivors turned to cannibalism and eating dogs and cats. Um, By 1086, when the um, Doomsday Book was written, there were still 60% of Yorkshire was just written as its wasteland, its it's dead now. We killed it. The Abbey of Evesham had refugees coming. They got um, records from the refugees arriving who were so hungry they uh, then died of eating too much as soon as they got there because they gorged themselves. They were so hungry. Um, and it was sort of, I think it was one of the beginnings of the north-south divide in that when you do set fire to the whole half of the country yeah. and leave it to starve, then that's going to obviously make some sort of resentment built. I don't know, some sort of distinction in people's minds between the two areas so that's my 1069 in the beginning of the harrying of the north that is absolutely shocking i i had no idea that all of that happened that we had a genocide on this in this country yeah well i mean that's the i mean there are some people who say it wasn't so bad there are some historians the big argument now is whether you can call it a genocide or not and i think if that's the big argument about something whether or not you can call it a genocide we can all agree it wasn't a very good thing sorry the north sorry sorry the north didn't, didn't... On behalf of France, really. <laughs> On behalf of the people of Caen. Oh, dear. That is really horrifying. And do you think that culturally that that's how we got to the North-South divide? Well, I think there are a few things. There's the fact that it was tended to be governed by Danish people for large periods of, for, well, a few hundred years, rather than the sort of... Anglo-Saxons who were further south. But then this as well, on top of that, means that, yes, there was a very different culture and experience of history between the two places. And then the way, different ways they developed industrially means because the resources, the coal and things were in the north, or the whales in the north. So I think a number yeah. of things have contributed to it, but this didn't help. Well, uh, that's... Cheer us up, Jake! That's really horrible. I certainly will, actually. Um, I'm going to Yay. take you to the 28th of January, 1754. Ooh. And a new word gets invented in a letter. A guy called Sir Horace Walpole mm-hmm. writes to his friend Horace Mann. Ooh. Double Horace. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about uh, a discovery he'd made about a lost painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a painting by Giorgio Vasari of Bianca Capello. I don't know who she was. I should probably have worked it Whitechapel. out. Whitechapel. Anyway, yeah. he, was re- by, he referenced to this painting by uh, referring to a Persian fairy tale, which was called The Three Princes of Serendip, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is uh, an old name for Sri Lanka. Yeah. And so he's talking about this story to his friend, Horace to Horace. Uh, and Horace tells Horace uh, that these princes were, they were always making discoveries by accidents and sagacity of things of which they were not in quest. Mm. So he decides to call that phenomenon serendipity. Oh, wow. I had that. And that's where it comes really? from. So it comes from. The old name for Sri Lanka. That's brilliant. Ceylon. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And there's some great examples of serendipity. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the in the world of food. Do you know the origin of cheese? No. 
that cheese you love so much. Yeah, Matt. I do. I love it very much. Mm. Well, that originated in the nomad nomad practice of storing milk. Mm. Uh, where should we put the milk? We're doing the camel <laughs> trek in a minute. Where should we put the milk? Um, I've got a stomach out of a dead camel. Yeah, I'll put the milk in there. Yeah, put it in there. Yeah. All right. So they would store they would store milk in the stomach of a dead camel, mm. which they would attach to the saddle of a live camel. Yeah. Nothing weird about that, mate. No. Don't worry what's bouncing off the side of your actual stomach. Yeah. It's just another... Just a dead person. What happened to that guy? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Keep no, walking. Keep walking, mate. Trot on. Unless you want to end up as a cheese holder. <laughs> Um, it depends how kissable they are, CF, last week. Oh, are we yes. going to do the camel beauty thing? It would be perfect to yes, do that. Yes, I, I will. Do, at the end of this, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can hear the camels. Oh, do you want to do it now? Uh, no, no, it's all right. Um, Let's do it at the end. Camel uh, beauty standards. Just to finish the thought, so that's how rennet got mixed with milk because it came from the dead camel's uh. stomach. Yum, 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 yum. And you think vegans are weird. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, there's millions of examples of, of serendipity and invention. People trying to synthesise rubber and instead came up with Silly Putty. Ooh, which is so many uses, like well, copying great. comics onto it briefly Just and then great. printing them on something else. Yeah, and then finding something better to do. <laughs> and uh, the microwave oven uh, happened, that was discovered when a guy called Percy Spencer, a guy called Percy Spencer, who is a Raytheon scientist, uh, he noticed, uh, oh, do you know what, the... Uh, the emissions from this radar equipment I'm experimenting with, it's uh, its melted the candy in my pocket. Ah. Also, my testicles yes. have exploded. <laughs> also, the cartilage in my knees is a jelly now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My thighs smell like chicken. That's mine, then. Well, that's good. Let's go on to some happy birthdays. Happy birthday to Joan II, Queen of Navarre. She was perhaps illegitimate, but was legitimised by her father on his deathbed. Um, she would have lost the uh, throne of Navarre if her stepmother had given birth to a boy. She did, briefly, her stepmother gave birth to John the Posthumous, which I think is the least enthusiastic name <laughs> you can give a child. Um, he died five <laughs> days later. Um, after that, Philip V stole the throne of France from her, but she got it back later on. Well, after, no, she got the throne of Navarre back later on, which she shared with her husband. Um, happy birthday to Kathleen Lonsdale, the Irish pacifist, prison reformer and crystallographer who was one of the first female fellows of the Royal Society. Uh, she had to go to Ilford County High School for boys to study maths and science because the local girls' school didn't offer it. Oh, the world. Uh, happy birthday to Jackson Pollock, whose spatter paintings lead lots of people to go, oh, I could do better than that, but they never do. They don't. They don't do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my five-year-old could do better than that. Could they? Could they? Well, why don't they then? Yeah. But they didn't, no. did they? They didn't. I mean, if they could, you could probably exhibit them for money. Happy death day to Thomas Bodley, who invented the Bodleian Library, the illegal deposit library and the second biggest library in the country. 
Happy death day to Isabella of Aragon, who was Queen Consort of France and daughter of Violent of Hungary. Yes, that's a Violent of Hungary. Um, she went on the Eighth Crusade with her husband while pregnant, but unfortunately fell off a horse. And uh, gay, uh, the, then she miscarried and died, unfortunately. That's Isabella of Aragon, who died on this day. Also, happy death days to Gregory Jarvis, Krista McAuliffe, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Judith Resnick, Dick Scooby and Michael J. Smith, all of whom were on the Challenger 2 in 1986. So that's a sad death day for them. In fact, that's probably one of the first death days I remember happening. Oh. You okay, mate? It, yeah, they interrupted Duckula to tell us about it. Duckula. <laughs> It wasn't like I can't remember. I think it was probably teabag. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite shocking seeing it happen fairly shortly after it had happened. Yeah. But at least, unlike uh, school children in America, we hadn't been forced to sit and watch it live as it happened at school. I'm sad about that. That's why we put them all in. I think they deserved a joint uh, memory today. Yeah. Anyway, what's your round two? Many thanks. Uh, Okay, well, I'm (laughs) going to take you to the 28th of January, 1958. Mm. It is the beginning of the biggest tyre manufacturer in the world. Oh. Namely, selling over 400 million tyres a year. (gasps) Michelin? Lego. Oh, Lego. Lego. Yes, Lego. They patent the design of their Lego bricks, uh, which are still compatible, which is an extraordinary feat, really, uh, and does, I think, rightly give it prominence as one of the greatest pieces of design ever. The tolerance, like, they are so accurately put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the moulding process is so accurate that for every one million parts they make, bricks and, and stuff... yeah. Only 18 won't pass their quality standard. What? It is insane how accurate... That's crazy. ...their production is and what the, the tolerance is. It is extraordinary. And a single Lego brick is so strong and powerful, mm. it's ridiculous. You can, Do you know how many Lego bricks you could pile on top of one Lego brick before it would start to buckle? I do not know how many could you. I'll tell you. 375 thousand what That's you could loads. build a tower two miles high before the bottom lego brick would start to buckle I certainly couldn't you don't know how rubbish no, I, I am with lego <laughs> <laughs> do you know what the world's largest population group is no oh lego people lego minifigures there's four billion of them yeah you can see them all coming over here they're all over here now yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, I went out in the street the other day, and if you didn't know any better, you would have sworn you were in Legoland. <laughs> oh, very good. Not a white face as far as the eye could see. <laughs> okay, stop Yellow there, plastic. Stop there, stop, stop there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I seem to remember, I think it's easier to take apart now, though, because I seem to remember when I was a child, if two pieces, that two of the very thin Lego pieces got put together, they were there forever. That was it. They were done. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was no way you could get a nail between them or anything. They would just fuse like that no. forever. But what a testament, you know, to, to the finesse of their manufacturing. Mm. That, you know, you're right. They were, 
very hard to pull apart, but you get, they make the special orange puller aparters now. Oh, do they? Don't they? Oh, okay. oh, yeah, the special orange puller aparters now. I need to get some of those to unfuse all of my still fused 40 year old <laughs> Lego. But it is, ex- it is incredible that you, you know, you, you can play. I, I play with 40, 50 year old Lego mixed in with Lego mm. I bought last week, and it works perfectly. Yeah, extraordinary system. I'd like to see that happen with, you know, Windows or something. You can still do it with Meccano. I mean, I Lego is obviously an inferior uh, version of Meccano. <laughs> I used to make... True uh, English sets. Yeah, I used to make... Uh, I made a ham radio with mine. I made a Messerschmitt, uh, finest <laughs> aircraft ever produced. So I can't go back into that. If you don't know what I I'm talking about, you can fucker. listen to the weekend's podcast because we, we, went, we lost it a little bit over the weekend. Oh, we dear, got we a bit went, giddy yeah. and made a spin-off podcast called uh what was it the history shed with two dads, two dads in the history two shed, dads in the yeah. history shed. It was lovely. It was horrific. Right, give us your round two. Round two. I'm going to take you to the 28th of January, 1393, and the ball of the burning man. Oh. It's France. Charles the Mad is on the throne, <laughs> and to celebrate the... Way- <laughs> is that a good idea? I don't know. <laughs> Charles the Man is on the throne, and to celebrate the wedding of one of his wife's ladies-in-waiting, they have a charivari, which is, it was a masked ball. Oh. I mean, the only place I'd heard the word charivari before this was on Punch, which always called itself the London charivari. So I'm assuming it's just some sort of yeah. wild... Do you, want, do, you, do you want me to put on my uh, knock-off version of Eyes Wide Shut music? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, let's have that. Okay, put it on. <laughs> okay, here it is. Okay, carry on. Um... So there's a charivari, which is a masked ball, um, and the costumes were really well thought through. The costumes were all made of linen, soaked in pitch with flax studs because it was old. They were very heavy costumes uh, with heavy masks, and one of the people masked and hidden in amongst the revellers... Tom Cruise. ...was Charles the oh. Sixth, Charles the Mad, and everyone had to guess who it was. Um, now, if you've made costumes of linen soaked in pitch, they do become yes. highly flammable. But they knew that. They weren't stupid. Charles the Mad wasn't stupid. He was mad. So he said there were no candles or torches to be allowed at the ball. And there weren't. So they all danced in the dark, all dressed up, trying to guess who was who, until Louis, the Duke d'Orléans, turned up late, drunk, carrying a load of torches so he could see who was who. At which point, the name of the ball of the burning man becomes very clear as to what it meant. One person panicked, got caught by the torches, was set light, set light to ev- all of the other dancers. Everyone was on fire. The Duchess de Beauvais, who was 14, hid Charles VI under her skirt to put him out. One saved himself by jumping into a barrel of wine. Four people died, and that's the ball of the Burning Man. Only four people died? Only four people died. I don't think it was a huge party, because I think it may only have been 12 people in Mark. You had There were sort of enough people in masks that you had to choose between them but it wasn't a huge number like a huge ballroom full so you could have looked at each of them and tried to find out who the king was by was it king. basically someone's lounge and was it like car keys yeah, it was a house bottle? party yeah. it was like <laughs> it was like those old Halloween parties in someone's student house where someone's dressed themselves in a bin bag and has called themselves <laughs> oh the rubbish culture of ourselves <laughs> and someone's been smoking too close to them they've gone up like a candle and you have to put them in the bath to get them <laughs> I mean, it's like, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, let me touch everyone. <laughs> it does seem a bit like... Yeah. Quick, help you... me, help me. Shake my hand, I'm on fire. <laughs> Hug me close, it's the only way. Kiss me goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. Wow, oh, horrific, absolutely horrific. Thanks yeah. so much, what a lovely <laughs> note. 
to close the podcast <laughs> well, on. Well, hang um, on. If you want a better note to close a podcast on, oh, how yes? about the Camel Standards of Beauty? Camel Standards of Beauty. This is a, a back ref, by the way, to... Yeah. When was it we did the, the camel thing? <laughs> it was quite a while ago now. I keep forgetting to Friday? do this, but I think it was Friday. Yeah, Friday. Okay. Well worth a listen. One of the best podcasts we've done, I would say. Yeah, it was a great one. I like that one. Camels are categorised... Not like this. This is a dud. Yeah, go on, sorry. <laughs> camels are categorised by age... After their teeth examination, they then what is looked for is coat. The coat must have a natural appearance with shiny hair of a clearly definable colour. Now, I don't <laughs> know of anything which doesn't have a clearly definable colour. Um, is that have a, does that have a colour? Yeah, uh, certainly does. I would say s- some some products from highly successful commercial bakery outlet chains. <laughs> Okay. Um, the brighter the hair, the more beautiful the pageant entrant is considered to be. No hair colouring, tattooing or other cosmetic modification is allowed. Oh, man, who would tattoo a camel? What would you tattoo on a camel? I don't know. Well, the people who were giving them Botox... Hang on. This came off the back of them giving them Botox and pulling their lips to make them longer. I like the idea of, like, love and hate across each hump or something. <laughs> the neck. The neck must be long, wide, elegant and lean. Neither overly full nor skinny. Who likes a skinny neck on a camel? I, don't, I, gotta, I must admit, I don't like a skinny camel. I like a little bit of rump skinny on the neck. hump. Yeah. Yeah. The area between the neck and the hump should be long and strong. Tell me about it. The head should be large and upright, as well as proportioned to the rest of the body. Lips should be pouty and pendulous, with the upper lip being cleft. Chin is visible from the front and side. We need to make RuPaul's camel race. (laughs) We do. (laughs) Eyes are wide, with long, dark lashes. Ears are long, furrowed and pricked up. Also, must keep the sand out. Yeah. <laughs> Hump, large and shapely in the usual position, close to the back. Well, yeah, it's course got to be on the back. We're on the like, side. That was a hump on each leg. <laughs> a good posture and a large hump may increase a camel's chance of winning. And those are the camel standards of beauty. In case you're looking to enter your camel in the Abdulaziz Camel Fest. I entered my camel once. Um... Did you? I've got seven years. <laughs> Good. Hooray! Camel beauty. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, ooh, thank, that's got don't me. thank me. Thank the people of the King Abdulaziz Camfest. Yeah. Ooh, that's got me thinking about camels now. I thought, ooh, yeah. I think we're going to have to. Pop I mean, off. when they, I, I didn't see this last Friday, but the more I've pondered on the innate <laughs> beauty of the camel and its leathery <laughs> mouth, the more realistic it seems. Leathery, kissable mouth. <laughs> Well, once you've pulled the lips to elongate them, that's really... Mm. Oh, stop. Yeah. Ooh, mm. Cold shower time. Uh, <laughs> right, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Um, you can, of course, vote. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. for some reason I need an audience when I do this. Anyway, um, <laughs> you can vote. If you go to Twitter, yes. it's uh, at date underscore fight. And if you go to Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash date fight. Yes, uh, do vote, guys. Do vote mm. for me. Do and, vote. It's uh, what makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Seeing those votes top exactly. add up. Uh, and we will be back, of course, tomorrow. tomorrow with another date fight as we trudge unrelentingly onwards yes. towards, I'm guessing, the demise of one yep. of us. Or just an absence of a, a will <laughs> continues possibly. Yeah, anyway. I think when we have our big party, it should everyone should have to dress in pitch, pitch so linen <laughs> as costumes. 
Yeah, <laughs> riding a very beautiful leather camel. <laughs> right, see you tomorrow. Bye.